0: And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection where faith and reason collide. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here, coming to you from the mothership where Mother Angelica began it all back in 1981. And of course, your questions are always important to us. And you can send those to us at SpitzersUniverse at EW10.com. In fact, uh, that's why we'll be doing a question show here. And I'll call us, check out all of Father Spitzer's websites. There's the Magic Center one, dot com, and remember the Spitzer Center is a dot org just to keep you uh, attentive when you're going online. And Father Spitzer's Universe is always available proudly on our EWTN YouTube channel. Anybody can watch that. You can go to our our website and our on-demand page, as you can see on the screen, and check that out as well. And we've got tons of radio programming. We've got television programming, very popular programs. One is our open line program featuring all the EWTN heavy hitters, including Father Mitch, Father Wade Menezes, Father Brian Millady. They answer your questions also Colin Donovan's in there and Father John Tregilio as well so it's a stacked lineup and and they give you the straight answers right up there on radio every Monday through Friday and you can watch it if you miss it you know in a podcast free and on demand of course today as I mentioned we will be answering your questions uh, that you've been sending in so we can kind of catch up and with that said we have to catch up with the man himself Mr. Universe our own father Robert Spitzer how are you doing? <laughs>
1: i'm doing great thanks doug good well i
0: hope you're prepared because this is going to be rapid fire here it's a lightning round so if you want to kick things off with a prayer that'd be great
1: i'll need it in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen heavenly father we give you thanks for your many blessings to us especially the blessing of this ministry and our ability to serve in it ask you to send your holy spirit down upon us now doug myself our whole audience this day so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray pray for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you very much for starting these off, Father. So we'll get into some of the questions people have been sending us we haven't had a chance to get to. First up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, I am 62 years old, and every so often I meet people about my age who went to Catholic schools and suffered emotional or physical abuse at the hands of the nuns or the priests. This has given them a very negative attitude about the church. What can I say to someone who tells me of their abuse? All I can come up with is, I'm very sorry that this happened to you. Is there anything else I can say beyond that? And I want to be healing while not trivializing their their pain, of course. And this is from Paul.
1: You know, Paul, I, I think all you can do is just say, I'm sorry that it happened to you. But the main thing you want to emphasize is don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Mm-hmm. In other words, just because you had a bad experience, right, um, by some person, uh, uh, maybe in your grade school days, mm-hmm. it sounds like that's where it happened, uh, please, you know, don't uh, you know throw away Christ or the Holy Spirit right. or the, the sacraments or the Holy Eucharist or the church uh, because we need it we desperately need uh, all of those things and there are so many good people so many great priests so many great teachers yep. and so many uh, truly in in our own parish communities so many great people you just don't want to uh, uh, right. to jeopardize yourself by you um, know you know of course you know this is a painful experience but please, you know, don't don't do that. I mean, people, you know, have had bad experiences with doctors, but they don't give up on doctors. And people have had bad experiences, uh, too, with coaches, but they don't give up on playing sports, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. you know, these uh, you know, th- these things happen. Right. There are imperfect people out there. But we need the church right. Right. just as much as we need. In fact, more than we right. need doctors and uh, and coaches, right. etc.
0: Well, I, I want to make sure I, I delineate one, separate out that when it comes to physical abuse at the hands of anybody, that's a horrible, horrible oh. situation. And of course, an emotional abuse can yeah. be as well, though I have to say, as somebody who went through Catholic Grammar School and Catholic High School, 99-point-whatever percent of the teachers we had, especially the sisters, were wonderful teachers. Could some of them be tough? Yes, yeah, some of them could be tough, but we also ended up with the most educated group uh, in the United states thanks to those wonderful sisters and i think there's a certain amount of uh, fashion to some people who've either walked away from the church or have had issues in the past who kind of you know make it sound like everybody was running around with a two- by four in their hands and yeah. waiting to hit you with a giant ruler which wasn't really the truth
1: yeah no i mean yeah. uh, I taught certainly in a in a jesuit high school when i was a, a regent right after college and uh, I thought it was a great education, and I thought the priests there were great, and the lay people were mm-hmm. great. And I, I don't th- see how those kids could have gotten a better education. Um, so I, I truly believe that, uh, that you know, of, of course, those things like physical abuse they do Absolutely. happen, right? And emotional abuse uh, may well happen. Today, though, you know, it's it's really coming from the bullying, mm-hmm. and I think to have that. More um, a strict regimen in the school that maybe can help with the bullying or remove the person who's doing the bullying from the school, even though that you know may be considered harsh. Mm-hmm. I, I think for the sake of the other kids, those kinds of things really do need to happen. But uh, you know, just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater is my main point. Right, so, and absolutely, um, and of course,
0: right. You know, And sometimes people seem to equate emotional abuse is the fact that somebody told me something I didn't really want to hear. And it made me feel bad, and so I feel abused. Now, that's a a stretch, but in the world we live in today, uh, you know, it doesn't take much for people to feel like they're being abused. And and in some ways, it runs counter to the people who really are being abused, the people really who are, you know, molested or taken advantage of. You know, and it's like, well, I was abused too. Well, someone so told me I wasn't, you know, I would never achieve anything. Well, okay, that's that's not a great thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to be able to go on as best you can, and we pray for all those people. But for the vast majority of people, I think yeah. we all did pretty well considering.
1: Absolutely, right. and so um, you know, I, I was lucky it didn't happen to me, but mm-hmm. uh, I know that people, you know, for whom it did happen, you know, right. it, it truly, you know. Um, you know, it was it was very debilitating, but at the same time, you know, stick with your religion, right. and stick. You know, today, the, the, you know, st- stick with Catholic education. The, it needs your support, and right. and um, y- you know, uh, I think uh, especially, you know, right. to to have you know some of these really really good priests just tarred with the same brush as some abusers is just uh, right you know, it's very unfortunate right. because uh, you, you're not going to trust a person who really is a good shepherd of souls. Right. So um, anyway, I've, just be careful. Well, I
0: also think with a lot of people out there too, I think there's a lot of Catholics who'd be very help- uh, happy to send their child to a Catholic school as actually, if it in fact was and truly is a Catholic school. I think some of the dismay at times yeah, for people well, is to send it to a school that says yeah. it's Catholic and then be disappointed over what exactly is going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, okay. Next up. Dear Father Spitzer, I recently read the biography of Blessed Solanus Casey. He was ordained as a simplex priest and not given the faculties to hear confession. I have heard that even a laicized priest in danger of death can hear a person's confession and grant absolution. Would this be the same for a priest who was never granted those faculties in the first place? Sandy?
1: No no sandy I, you you wouldn't you you couldn't do that and mm-hmm. get at least absolution in the canonical sense mm-hmm. so no uh, you uh, that's the brief answer to your question right. no right, right. so but isn't not it, it interesting
0: yeah. that we've got casing him and the cure of ours, obviously heard a uh, uh, great uh, conf- he was great confessor oh, but well, another uh, another person yeah. who wasn't supposed to be ordained because he, he really wasn't that good and you've got even yeah. divine mercy with Sister Kowalskop the idea of her being a kitchen uh, sister, so to speak, uh, that these people are the ones yeah. that our Lord in some ways used to do His work more than anybody else.
1: Absolutely. Uh, the Lord picks who He wants. He picks the pure of heart. Right. I mean, I look at Bernadette Subiru, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, she was as they say, the slowest person in the class, and her teacher made it very well known to her that mm-hmm. she was, mm-hmm. and uh, yet at the same time, um, she's the one that the Lord picked, and mm. she was the one that had the purity of heart, she was the one that could stand up to the authorities, and uh, uh, you know, she never compromised. and just, just truly, I think mm. the Lord knows what, of course the Lord knows what He's doing. Right, right. He absolutely does. Right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we used to say, we we certainly hope so when we're really in trouble, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I know so. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I very much know so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen plenty of effects of the Lord in my life. So. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure in your work and the Magic Center work, certainly the work of EW10 and Mother's vision for it that was given to her by our our Lord and what it's done to help so many people around the globe. Next up, Dear Father Spitzer, on a recent show you indicated that you were destined for purgatory. That got me thinking about my Catholic school upbringing, the attitude among myself and my peers regarding our eternal destiny. Because venial sin was so prevalent and unavoidable, most assume that going directly to heaven was only an option for priests and nuns. So why try? Should I give up on going directly to heaven and aim for purgatory? Perhaps you could enlighten me in your study of near-death experiences. How often is purgatory mentioned? And this is Gerard.
1: Well, Gerard, here's the the thought. First, with respect to Mm -hmm. near-death experiences, uh, purgatory is not really mentioned. Um, The difficulty, though, is to assess why that is the case. Mm -hmm. And with adults, now, as opposed to children, right, children very frequently like almost eighty percent of the time children who undergo clinical death right flat eeg fix and dilated pupils etc they actually do have near-death experiences uh, or out-of-body experiences a large amount of the time by eighty percent of the time not so adults adults it's about the opposite twenty percent of the time adults have near-death experiences and so we wonder what happened to the eighty percent and I think there is a suspension of judgment until other factors are in place Hmm. um, that might entail purgatory so I I, you cannot draw a conclusion from near-death experiences about purgatory one way or another Um, what you can you can Say that there are some very negative experiences, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and they range from emptiness. Uh, you know, it is about 15% of people who have a near death experience uh, do have a negative experience. And as I said, it ranges from emptiness and alienation, sort of uh, all by themselves in a state of loneliness, emptiness, and um, all the way to really malignant, you know, um, um, terrible. Cruel evil beings Mm. that are uh, you know surrounding people etc. So um, Those things uh, do happen, but uh, we don't know about that 80% Mm. who don't have any Recollection Mm. at all of an afterlife uh, among adults and so um, I'd have to say purgatory is Fitting in there somewhere Mm -hmm. that there is something that must take place before judgment before a direction or something is going to happen, so I would just leave mm. it at that. But oh, uh, with respect to why do I? Uh, you know, of yeah, course right. you should try. I'm right. trying all the time, right? Uh, you know, and so the uh, the idea would be, well, you know, um, do I think I'm probably going to make it? Uh, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, without some purgatory, I, I just I've got this residual ego. It's still there, <laughs> and I've got you know, honestly. Uh, I see these seven deadly, eight deadly sins in my life, and they're there, you know. And and so I'm I'm wondering, can Christ take care of it at the end? Well, maybe He can, but I, you know, I'm you know I'm the the type that goes, wow. If I'm on the caboose getting up the purgatory, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it, even though that's mm-hmm. not what I stri- I was striving for, right? I was wow. striving to get into heaven, but I just have this funny feeling that. Oh, boy, when I look at myself, I think, man, I don't know if I am reflect one of those saints. So I'm trying to be a saint, but I don't think I'm quite there yet, that's for sure. And there are a lot of people who would say, oh, that Spitzer, he's very impatient, and, you know, he's got uh, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, ego going on. And I do. I I admit it. So, uh, you know, I I have to say that, um, you know, God, uh, you know, is he's the judge and he's a merciful judge mm-hmm. and maybe he'll just kind right. of pull me in regardless but um... Right. as they say i'm not counting on uh, on that uh, i'm not right. counting the chickens before they hatch so right. uh, but keep trying and that's what i do i keep right. trying
0: yeah well you want to shoot for heaven if you fall short you end up in purgatory so you're still you're still in yeah. the game you don't want to be shooting uh, for yeah. purgatory and fall short mm-hmm. and end up in some other place <laughs> that, that would not be a good idea that's... right <laughs> Dear Father Spitzer, (laughs) (laughs) I am devoted to my Catholic faith. I go to Mass and confession regularly and try my best to stay as close as possible to God each day. I suffered a few traumatic experiences as a child and have been suffering from various addiction problems for decades, including an eating disorder. Despite years of secular and spiritual therapy and counseling, my problems just won't go away. I have given my life to Jesus, but I'm not experiencing that quote-unquote lighter yoke. Is it possible that God wants me to carry these crosses all my life? Am I disappointing him because I can't get better? Patricia.
1: Patricia, you're not disappointing him because you can't get better. You know, sometimes these things, they're such ingrained habits, and they're so intransigent, it's very, very difficult to overcome them. And, and my thought would be, you know, uh, uh, you know, there are some physical things you can do to try and, uh... delimit uh... some of these effects but my thought would be no god is mm-hmm. not disappointed in you right. uh... you know for not being able to overcome an eating disorder etc The the second thing is you gotta realize how you know um, difficult it is to do those things there you know that's why there's a whole area uh, you know in in um, medical science and in in psychology That concerns eating disorders Mm -hmm. uh, you know because they are so there are many and they're intransigent uh, and so that's another thing that you just got to recognize and be patient with yourself uh, in your struggles thirdly yeah you could have crosses for the rest of your life I mean you know if uh, if an eye therapy doesn't come uh, for me you know in the future well I'm gonna be blind for the rest of my life Uh, that's okay if that's what God wants, um, then I'm fine with it, you know, uh, because I'll get, uh, keep getting blessings uh, as, you know, from uh, this uh, it's a cross, and I'll keep getting blessings from it mm-hmm. um, uh, a- a- until my dying day. And if that's what God wants, that's what's good for me, right. and uh, I- I'm going to accept it. I'm going to accept it with patience, and I'm going to accept it with love, and I'm not going to accept it with bitterness and resentment. So um, you know, I I've made up my mind, and I have a choice, you know. And uh, uh, you know, honestly, I can put on. I've I have a great life as a blind person, mm-hmm. and I've just decided to look at what I have mm-hmm. and how I can serve the kingdom of God and all the great people that are around me that help me, and and I, I look, you know, at this ministry, like having Doug as a co-host, or mm-hmm. I look at Majus and having all the people that are with me there, um, you know, who are putting together, you know, our publications and and so forth. I mean, I I couldn't have a better life. I've got a wonderful family, but I'm just blind. So, I mean, uh, there it is. I mean, it's not like I'm going to blow this out of proportion and make it the resentment of my life. And I've just, I decided about 30 years ago, I'm not going to do that i knew i was going to go blind when i was 31. Uh, i was told straight and so um at the end of the day um you know uh i i did go blind when i was about uh, 66 mm-hmm. and um uh you know there it is i'm gonna probably have it to the rest of my life but choose joy mm-hmm. choose trust choose love and above all look at all the good things in your life Look at the positive things. Don't spend all your psychic energy and time resenting the things you don't have. Mm-hmm. Just give God thanks for all the things you have. And just reading between the lines in your letter, sounds like you really you know, already do that. It sounds like you already have a very mature spiritual life, and you're very resigned right. to the cross that you would have to follow. So you're, you're, you're all in the right direction, absolutely. Uh, Patricia. Just keep going for it.
0: Right, absolutely. And, uh, and God is not disappointed in you. You're trying. You're doing the best you can. This isn't yeah. health and wealth gospel where your problem with your disability yeah. or, or anything is because you don't have enough faith or any stuff like that. So. Uh, laying yeah, the guilt exactly. trip on the person involved so next up, exactly. uh, right? Dear Father Spitzer, how do I respond when, I, when asked why does the Catholic Church or why does the church have a problem with homosexual relationships? It's none of your business. They don't hurt anybody, it's their life, stay out of it. Is there any evidence for homosexual relationships making people less happy and fulfilled Gabriella? Not sure if Gabriella's watched the show before, but...
1: Uh, yeah, well Gabriella, there, there really is. If you go to this book that um, we're doing right now, called "The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church," just go to chapter two in that book. In that book, I have um, like about 30 major studies cited about um, you know homosexual lifestyle uh, with respect to depression. Uh, I think a three times increase in depression rate, 3.5 times increase in anxiety rates, five times increase in panic disorders, uh, three times increase in major psychiatric conditions, mm-hmm. uh, a five to seven times increase depending on the poll in suicidal contemplation and you look at that I mean it's pretty conclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of those studies are Netherlands or New Zealand studies uh, that were used by the Archives of General Psychiatry. Uh, so they're very very good studies, they're d- well, very well done, uh, by multiple people longitudinal studies uh, so you can see that mm-hmm. uh, if you want and uh, the whole idea of um, should we stay out of it yeah i mm-hmm. I, I would say that the church uh, should stay out of judging people uh you know and the church doesn't judge people the church has the sacrament of reconciliation uh to help people um, you know along their uh, spiritual path but the church also has to teach that this is what jesus was saying the church also has to teach that, you know, th- that somehow when you get into a lifestyle like this mm-hmm. that has a, a, you know, a much lower rate of monogamy, much lower rate of, um, a, you know, of a, of a longstanding uh, relationship that has a much, much higher rate of number of sexual partners over mm-hmm. the course uh, of, of a lifetime. And you know, when you look at those kinds of uh, things, do they correlate mm-hmm. with having a decreased spiritual life? And they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have all the latest Pew survey uh, data for, for um, you know comparison of those who are engaged in that lifestyle with those in the general population. And it pretty much shows that you have a doubling of a declaration of atheism. And uh, one half the participation rate in church Mm -hmm. Bible reading and prayer so you know it does really have a a substantial effect uh, on these things but just go to chapter Mm -hmm. 2 and I've got the studies there and they're all footnoted and many of them you could just get right online Mm -hmm. Uh, so um, you could actually uh, click right in and and, uh, look at those studies
0: right we appreciate your question Gabriella because a lot of people are struggling with that Mm -hmm. and people do hear it uh, many times uh, from other people. Dear Father Spitzer, how can I explain to non-Catholics that the Eucharist isn't cannibalism if we believe the host is literally the body of Christ? Brian.
1: Well, Brian, the idea behind cannibalism is you're eating somebody else's body either for nourishment or you are uh, trying, in some sense, uh, uh, to, um, uh, to imbibe their spirit in yours uh as it were to engulf them or take them over um, or to transfer their power so in cannibalistic cultures this is obviously uh the intention and so forth now what christ is doing here um, in uh in the holy eucharist is something vastly different mm-hmm. uh the word body it, it, of course it includes his body and his blood his physical body and his physical blood but it also includes his soul and his divinity. It really means his whole self. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the word used to translate Jesus' is Hebrew in the right uh, is uh, soma, and that word soma means whole self, whole mm-hmm. person, like we would use the word everybody, mm-hmm. like body, or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, is kind of the analogy. But, but in any way, in any uh, case, um, what, we're, what Christ is doing here is a, is a threefold thing. He's giving us his whole self, including his divine person, but also he can't be detached from his physical body and blood that's mm-hmm. given over on the cross at Calvary. Uh, he, that's him. That's mm-hmm. his love. That's his whole self poured out uh, in, in, uh, in love mm-hmm. uh, on the cross. And so when you really look at that, why does Jesus do that? He has the following reasons number one because his body is efficacious and it will transform Mm. us so his heart will meet our heart inside of ourselves this is explained Mm. in John 6 Um, And then the second thing that Jesus, the second reason is uh, because, of course, um, when Jesus is present in us, it literally breaks the grip of sin. Mm -hmm. But it not only breaks the grip of sin, it breaks the grip of the evil spirit Mm -hmm. uh, in us. There's nothing that the devil hates worse uh, than the Holy Eucharist, with the possible exception of the sacrament of reconciliation and the absolution. Coming from it, mm-hmm. because it just breaks his power, it breaks no. his grip. He can't, you know, sustain it. And you know that's why, for example, in an exorcism, you see that you know you ninety know, percent of the time, if somebody does not have, um, you know, the sacrament of reconciliation and is not trying to receive the Eucharist and mm-hmm. to have the body uh, of Christ, uh, you know, the exorcism can oftentimes be unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. The power of those two sacraments is really manifest in the success rate of exorcisms the minute you know this happens so you'll you know if you fill out a form as it were of course you wouldn't have to do but if you did fill out a form before an exorcism the first thing you you'd be asked is have you been regularly going to uh, the Eucharist, have you received the sacrament of reconciliation? Mm-hmm. Because it's so powerful, uh, you know, a gift. So the, Jesus wanted to protect us from the evil spirit. He wanted to. Pre- but the, the, the third thing, of course, is Jesus also wants uh, to us to be on the road mm-hmm. to eternal salvation. And so he's sharing his very being with us. Mm-hmm. Because remember what Jesus says throughout his, his ministry he's saying that I am. Um, the uh, uh, the the kingdom of God I've come to bring the kingdom of God in my own person Mm -hmm. to receive him into you is to receive you know his mystical body the kingdom of God the substance which is holding together the entire communion of saints in conjunction with the church and so you're literally taken up on the pathway Mm -hmm. to eternal life you know, it's almost like one of those tractor beams, hmm, you know, right. and uh, and start, you know, you just are basically taking this, uh, you know, almost this magnetic thing into you of Jesus pulling us uh, toward Himself mm-hmm. when we receive the Holy Eucharist. All these things are manifest, and indeed, um, He also does this unto the forgiveness of sins. So He says, poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing this as a sin offering as well uh, because His unconditional love poured out in on the cross that you receive in His real body and blood is truly uh, the light, the love that casts out mm-hmm. sin and mm-hmm. darkness, protects us from evil, transforms our hearts by His own heart, and of course leads us on the path to eternal life. And that, of course, has nothing to do with cannibalism in the sense of you know using another person as nourishment mm-hmm. or uh, remember that uh, movie where you had that Hannibal Lecter right, uh, right. you know who was he cannibalized people yeah Silence of the Lambs, right, right. Because, yeah, right. of the lambs. Right. he was trying to get you know their essence into him to mm. dominate them as it were and so uh, uh, you know a horrible right. kind of thing and uh, of course, this, is, this has nothing to do with what Christ is—pure self-offering mm-hmm. for eternal life, for transformation in His love, for forgiveness of sins, and of course, uh, for the breaking of the power of the evil spirit.
0: Right. Absolutely. Do you hear that very much anymore? I mean, the cannibalism thing—it seems like more. I kind of well, hear the no, side was that well, it's a just deal a symbol, when I was a and, kid. you know. And, uh, yeah. I mean, now it's more. Well, it's just a symbol. Uh, that's you know it's not so much you know it's not so much the other way
1: yeah yeah so much so exactly but i uh, know i haven't heard too much of the cannibalism these days but i used to hear it when i was a kid right, right. Uh, but you know definitely i mean if it could you know come up you know people would just right. say wow you know this is uh, you know it seems like cannibalism but clearly this is right. not jesus's intention in any way Absolutely. shape or form he wants to share his whole being with us to forgive our sins and to, you know, bring us into the kingdom of His love and to, of course, break the grip of the evil spirit.
0: Absolutely. With that, we're going to take a break as well. We're here with Father Spitzer and we're answering your questions and there's much more ahead. You just have to stay with us when we return in Father Spitzer's universe in a moment. And welcome back to Father Spitzer's Universe. We are answering your questions sent in by you, our viewers, through the email address. But first, I want to remind you all about the National Eucharistic Revival coming up in 2024, July 17th to the 21st in Indianapolis, Indiana. Not too early to plan celebrate the power of the eucharist which we were just talking about with us go to ew10.com forward slash eucharist to see how you can register at a discounted rate and we'd love you to do it through ewtn to show the power of the great work that EWTN has been doing in your life and with that we'll turn to father spitzer who i'm sure is either speaking there mm-hmm. will be speaking there or certainly will be in attendance
1: i i will be I know I will be speaking there for ah,
0: sure. <laughs> why did I take a wild guess like that? Uh, okay, I could have laid my money. I could, have, I could have cleaned up. Dear Father Spitzer, on a recent show you discussed reasons for animal suffering. I understand it wouldn't make sense if humans suffered and animals somehow miraculously didn't. You also said that physical death entered the world before original sin happened. Why did God create a world so full of animal suffering before humans even existed? just to make it clear i understand the reasons for human suffering It's the question of animal suffering in this context that troubles me this is also gabrielle i'm not sure if it's the same gabrielle it could be
1: okay well gabrielle here's uh, the thing uh, animals don't suffer uh... in the same way humans do uh... humans have self-reflectivity so they can come back on themselves and they can sort of uh... you know look at um... themselves doing things as it were from within themselves so for example if a human being suffers he might think to himself oh my gosh this could last forever and so human suffering could actually lead to depression right Mm. when somebody reflects on it or human beings could you know uh, reflect on you know death as impending and suffer you know because of of the recognition that you know what we call anticipatory uh, consciousness that human beings have that animals don't have uh in in um, and so what mm-hmm. happens of course is human suffering is very much compounded by human complexity wow. of cognition and human complexity of self-consciousness uh, and consciousness itself so um, uh, human uh, i mean uh, animals they just uh, experience pain now, of course, um, uh, you know, th- nobody wants uh, a being uh, to experience pain and why God allows an, an animal to experience pain, uh, you know, I don't have all the answers uh, to this, I just know that it does come uh, from, uh, you know, being uh, in, in, uh, subject uh, to pain and, and to pleasure, but I think relative to human beings. Uh, it would be a strange world indeed if human beings had pain and we mm-hmm. know why human beings have pain uh but um, animals did not have pain uh in in any shape way shape or form mm-hmm. uh i think we analogize ourselves and our primitive culture certainly to uh, to those of animals and so i would say that the 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 sense of pain in animals is definitely related uh... to the um, uh... to our own pain human pain though the reason that we feel that is it it brings out our need for others mm-hmm. uh... human pain is a way of breaking out of a superficial lifestyle human pain uh... enables us to focus on uh, people beyond uh... beyond ourselves in other words it, it breaks mm-hmm. you know the the spell of narcissism, mm-hmm. uh, in a most remarkable and incisive way. Uh, also, pain um, uh, brings about our ability to uh, manifest courage, our uh, ability to continue to uh, to trust in God, or mm-hmm. to continue to um, you know in, in, you know bear with life exceedingly well on the basis of our call by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you say, well, animals can't have any of those reasons for pain all those reasons you give us for human pain and human suffering and reflective suffering have to do with you know the complexity of of human consciousness um, and but animals mm-hmm. uh, they they don't they don't have that possibility of getting uh... those benefits nevertheless there is a kind of a, a courage in animals where they bear with pain and you know um... and they mm-hmm. they they you know uh, and when they can no longer uh, bear with that pain uh, basically you know they begin the process of dying but uh, they will try to bear with pain in uh, we wouldn't call them courage uh, wouldn't call it courage in the sense of a human being that has a reflective moment mm-hmm. of saying I'm gonna bear with this uh, pain with with courage and discipline and trust in God uh, they're not gonna be able to have that mm-hmm. but they do have a kind of a fortitude in them right. um, you know that can be manifest and you know you'd say it wouldn't be noble in the human sense but it is kind of an animalic nobility in its own way and um, you know like I said you know, animals can you know show a kind of nobility uh, in their empathy you know they have a certain kind of empathy that's particular to mm-hmm. animals it's not a self-reflective empathy but it is an empathy that's uh, particular to them, mm-hmm. and they can, of course, uh, literally leap into a fire, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, challenge an opponent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that uh, uh, you know, where they, they put themselves at risk, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not self-reflectively, but they, you know, kind of counter-instinctually do that, mm-hmm. and none of those uh, what I would call animal noble acts would be possible. Without pain, uh, being on mm. uh, you know uh, in their uh, domain, mm-hmm. and so I think you do see that. I think uh, also there are these what I would call noble animal acts. Again, they're they're not self-reflective, mm-hmm. but you see what a, a, a mother bear will sacrifice for the cubs, mm-hmm. and you know it's a great you know pain is there too, and so there is a kind of a uh, what I would call a, a certain sort of a non-reflective uh nobility a non-reflective empathy uh that does have a little bit of a self sacrificial do- dimension to it but not consciously self-consciously right. self sacrificial and so all these things you know uh, uh you know uh, make for what used to be right. called the noble beast right. uh and uh, i think um, uh, that's the best explanation right. i can i can come up with and of course we right look at the animals and primitive culture certainly did uh... to get examples of how to uh... to deal with life as well Mm -hmm. and so i think you know all these things are in god's plan i don't pretend to know them perfectly but i do know it has something to do with that they're 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 not like mechanisms animals Mm -hmm. are not they do have a certain sense of empathy and they do have uh, a certain sense of kind of um... Uh, you know, a, a loyalty and a fierceness of, mm. of uh, you know, um, uh, even a protectiveness right. that has right. a, a kind of self-sacrificial aspect of, you know, right. which is, the, you know, the noble right. beast right. Uh, writ large.
0: Right. Okay. Very good. Okay. Next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, you provide convincing evidence as to when insolment most probably occurred 60,000 years ago. But why do evolution and the Catholic doctrine that Adam and Eve are the first created hum, human beings not conflict? So Tony wants to know does it conflict? Yep.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, basically it does not conflict at all because um, the Bible doesn't say that uh, the first and sold human beings uh, could not occur 60,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the evidence all suggests that. But uh, the main thing is is what the Bible says is there was a first Adam and Eve. I believe in a first Adam and Eve. I certainly believe uh, that um, that happened when a transphysical soul was created. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, of course there was a very long evolutionary process that took place over the course of almost 3.9 um, billion years but uh, when we get up to uh, the time of 60,000 years ago after about 3.9 billion years uh, still the, a soul is not going to come of its own volition right God a transphysical agency is going to have to give the transphysical soul to a human being I believe that that happened 60,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. God directly intervenes. He puts a transphysical soul in uh, to human beings. That gives human beings self-consciousness, and it also gives human beings uh, cognitional activity and and, uh, abstract intelligence and conscience. And when all those things are in place, then, of course, Adam and Eve can basically say, I don't want um, uh, to... um, Uh, to uh, 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 obey God's law or Mm -hmm. I think uh, that um, uh, you know I need a little bit more I'd like to become like a God myself uh, self idolatry and I'm gonna disobey God in order to get the stuff that he deprived from me at the beginning that seems like a very very typical first sin that could have been Mm -hmm. committed and I think it did happen around 60,000 years ago when the first and soul parents, which I believe we do have a first and soul uh, a group of parents, and mm-hmm. I think uh, it, that's when um, it happened. I don't think there's any disagreement with the Bible and evolution. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any disagreement with respect to the soul.
0: Right. Okay, very good. Next up as we move ahead. Dear Father Spitzer, I heard that marriages without children are not valid. What does that mean? Are married couples what? without children living in sin? I'm not sure where Roma got this from, but... Uh She she asked the question.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry to say that that's totally wrong. Yeah, right. Uh, So yes, you can be married without children and have a valid marriage. And I don't know where you would have gotten that from, but you just have to dismiss that as completely false. Right, Um, and whoever's telling you that is is wrong. That's
0: all is dead wrong. Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) Uh, dear Father Spitzer, I firmly believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. If a biological man who identifies as a woman meets and wants to marry a biological woman who identifies as a man, would the church consider their marriage valid, or is this relationship disordered? Will?
1: Well, well, Will, um, when you say who identifies as a a man, are, are you saying that this person as getting gender-affirming therapy, uh, is that? Uh, well, you've got saying? a man, or man who dis- just.
0: Yeah. Oh, you mean whether something actually physically happened or whether they just think of themselves that yeah. way? Yeah, yeah,
1: and are, have they taken actions uh, to try and? Doesn't say. Um, a man, okay. Well, can- you certainly can't take the actions. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, when you say identifies, if you just mean, well, you know, I, uh, I've, I've had these kinds of. Of fantasies or I've had um, you know maybe uh, gender confusion Mm. um, you know or even gender dysphoria uh, and uh, but I'm still acting like a biological man and I and I am a biological man and uh, the person I'm interested in still acting like a biological woman who's um, you know uh, a biological woman Mm -hmm then, you know, I guess, you know, the church would not prohibit uh, that from happening. But if you mean by identifying as that, that um, uh, they are basically um, doing something to act like the other sex, doing something to transform themselves into the other sex, then that would be wrong. And and, uh, the, the church would be against it. Right. Yeah, because of course, um, I think that's where they're y- coming know, we, from. We, right. Okay.
0: Yeah that, yeah, that would be my guess. Otherwise, so that,
1: that would be wrong. Right, yeah.
0: absolutely. Uh, next up, Dear Father Spitzer, although yeah. I attend Mass regularly and have been properly baptized, I am not allowed to participate in any sacraments until I go through RCIA. I cannot imagine Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me, but only after you completed the initiation rites is it any wonder that the church's membership is dwindling catholics need to stop complaining about how low membership is and accept the reality that it's the price they pay for being so exclusive this is mark
1: well mark uh, actually that's not the real reason why church attendance is dwindling and i've talked about this and in, in many other um, episodes but essentially uh... we've got difficulties with um, uh, what's basically called the faith science question. Mm-hmm. We've got difficulties with the suffering question. We've got difficulties with non-belief in the moral, um, the church's moral teaching uh, areas. We've got a bunch of other issues uh, that are concerned with an absentee father within the household, and he is the major influence of religion. These are the major kinds of reasons why church attendance is dwindling. Uh, COVID did not help that uh... because of course now there's an excuse out there for mm-hmm. uh... not you know attending et cetera so all of these things uh... Y- you know are are um, y- you know um the-, the real reasons now the uh, you know, did Jesus just, uh, you know, just say, "Oh, come on in," mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the church? Yes, he did start a church. But notice that Jesus does teach his disciples. Mm-hmm. Notice that, of course, what does he say? He says, "Go out d- to his his disciples," and he says, "You know, go out and preach to the whole world, right?" and And then uh, baptize them. Uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, in other words, there is a moment where you really do have to instruct people, mm. uh, you know, about the sacraments to see the preciousness uh, of what they are really receiving. To you know, see you know, and understand the the, the liturgy through which mm. this is occurring. To understand the doctrines of the church around which the sacraments are based and Jesus did this himself right Uh, he's he's constantly instructing his disciples I mean if you read the Bible Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know which collapses a lot of things all you do is you get snippets of Jesus's um, instructions uh, throughout especially Matthew and Luke uh, you get those uh, snippets but you know there's not going to be a whole thing of, of Jesus teaching his moral teachings, of course are right there in the Sermon on the Mount and that's more than a snippet uh, you know mm-hmm. that really does give you a, a sense of things but Jesus did teach uh, he did want his people um, uh, to as they as this new church was being born He very much wanted them to be uh, instructed as well. Now yes, there are people, um, you know, we'd we'd call it the short course today, Mm. uh, you know, in in the apostolic times, where people were uh, given very basic instruction, but we do have all those early catechisms. In fact, one of them uh, that goes back to 80 AD is the Didache, and that Mm. tells you the kind of instruction. That was in the early church, right? 88 AD. You know, when you really think about it, it's only 50 years after Jesus, mm-hmm. and already you have a very well-developed uh, catechism there. And, um, and so mm-hmm. you can pretty much see that this has been part of the church's right. tradition since the very beginning. So uh, right. you don't want to blame, our, you know, low attendance on RCIA being too long. Right. Uh, maybe the RCIA in some places could be more effective, right? Absolutely, but, um, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and more, even more, you know, uh, you know, consistent with what Jesus wanted uh, to be taught. But definitely, right. um, it's not the length. Uh, uh, I think that's that's the main problem.
0: Right. And I think Thanks also I think that mind. the church is trying to in, in many ways say, listen, you're, you're taking on a certain understanding besides the emotionalism of yep. just saying, oh, I g, I I want to be a Catholic, that there, there are, uh, yeah. you know, things and responsibilities. procedures, responsibilities that you're signing up for. And there's no point in you agreeing to something and then finding out later, oh, wait a, wait a second, I didn't know that this was part of the deal. So it's really yeah. to understand. Are you committing exactly. yourself to something that you're prepared to commit yourself to? Okay, next up, dear Father Spitzer. Before communion, the priest goes to the tabernacle, brings out a large quantity of hosts for distribution to the faithful. Where and when were these consecrated? Why does there seem to be such a large number of hosts available outside of the Mass? Lisa Marie.
1: Yeah, well, Lisa Marie, you know, it happens so frequently because, for example, um, here at the cathedral, we regularly have nine Sunday Masses. Mm. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, at one Mass, you... You think, you know, okay, uh, I think about 800 people are going to come, and sometimes 650 come. And, well, there's 150 hosts Mm -hmm. uh, that are left over. Of course, you put them in the tabernacle. But, you know, then, uh, you know, the idea is you try to plan for the upcoming week. Mm -hmm. How many hosts would you need for the sick? how many hosts would you need for various communion services, and so forth. So uh, you, you try to plan that, and, you, and of course, during Masses, sometimes you fall short uh, you know, during the week, you mm-hmm. know, and so maybe you only plan for 30 people to come to your daily Mass, and 70 people come. So you want to make sure that you do have the host there in the tabernacle. So it's a little bit of a, a calculus, but it always comes from mm-hmm. a pr- a previous Masses and always I think sacristans put a little more in for the earlier masses, right, and then as they find themselves having some additional hosts Mm -hmm. then they find, uh, then they uh, use them at some of the later masses, but the idea is to make sure you have enough hosts for everybody at the earlier masses.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Another question as we're Mm -hmm. under the five-minute mark, Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, I was taught in Catholic school that God needs nothing He is infinitely perfect in his own existence. I know he loves us, but please explain why he would create beings that would cause him to crucify his son. If he is outside of time, he knew that this would happen. Mitch.
1: Well, Mitch, he surely did know that it would happen. And so, of course, uh, because God, he doesn't need anything. He's perfect in his own being but God can give Himself away if He wants to. God can uh, sacrifice Himself to liberate us from the evil spirit, to liberate us from hell, to liberate us uh, from um, uh, the effects of sin, to liberate us from our narcissistic selves, he could sacrifice himself in an unconditional act of love Mm -hmm. because, of course, if God doesn't need anything, then he's certainly capable of giving himself away. That's what love is, Mm -hmm. of giving himself away perfectly. So uh, if he does such a thing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's because of his his free choice he doesn't have to do it he doesn't need to do Mm -hmm. it he's doing it by his own free choice and the perfection of his being proves conclusively he doesn't need to do it Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have to do it so uh, basically he's doing this out of a free act of unconditional love which basically annihilates the evil spirit, mm-hmm. annihilates, outshines the effects of our sinfulness, becomes the power of the Holy Eucharist and the power of uh, the sacrament of reconciliation for every generation going into the future. It is the, the for the sake of salvation and the sake of liberating ourselves from ourselves that God um, does this. Wow. So... Um, uh, that's the reason okay. in, in a nutshell. That's why he does it.
0: Okay. Speaking of nutshells, you've got about two and a half minutes here. Uh, next question. Okay. Dear Father <laughs> Spitzer, the life and teachings of Jesus are described in the New Testament have always resonated with me. As I've gotten older, I feel moved to be a better person whenever I read the New Testament. The tone, however, and messaging of the Old Testament does not resonate with me. What are your thoughts about how I can better appreciate the Old Testament? Chris, we've talked a little bit about this in okay. the past.
1: Yeah, well, there's a very good article that's written by Josef R- Ratzinger, and it's um, uh, infor- uh, it's in German for sure, uh, uh, but I, I have to see if it's in English. But anyway, I quote it in, in an upcoming book I've got a Science, mm-hmm. Reason, and Faith: uh, Discovering the Bible coming out with OSV Press, uh, momentarily, like uh, in a couple months. Mm-hmm. In that I. Uh, Discuss Ratzinger's principle, but here it is in a nutshell. And basically, there's an inner core of revelation. That inner core of revelation uh, is inerrant if it is in agreement with the teaching of Jesus. The second point is there's an also what he calls the external uh, skin, as it were, the husk, mm-hmm. the external skin. Uh, uh, which is the ex- the form of the expression of the revelation. The form of the expression of the revelation is contingent upon the culture, contingent upon the time of the biblical author. Remember that for the Catholic Church, the biblical author is co-participative with the Holy Spirit with God in the construction of the biblical text. So it, as long as you have that human person making a contribution, he's going to do it according to his culture, according to his time, according to his understanding of how the world works, etc. Now because of that, the external course, Ratzinger, is not inerrant, right? It is subject to change over the course of time. So how do you distinguish between what's the inner core and what's the outer core? Well, other than the fact that like um, a genocidal statement, like, you know, kill all the, everything that breathes in these Canaanite lands, right? Right. uh, Where Moses might make such a statement. And so, you know, just uh, you could say, well, does that agree with the teaching of Jesus? No, genocide does not agree with the teaching of Jesus. But then you get into, Mm -hmm. uh, and so you can say, okay, that's part of the external form of the expression, which is not inherent. You must, of course, go by what Jesus teaches, and that, uh, you know, what's left, you know, in that teaching is that are uh, the objective of course is for the Israelites to be loyal to the covenant of God the okay. way in which Moses says you should do this that's a matter of, of uh, human uh, cultural uh, um, uh, relativity there, in the sense that, you know, that's a warrior right. culture. This is the way things were right. done. But that's all changed now. And then he makes a case to say, Oh, Father, we at are the just of the out day. of time
0: that... Uh, okay, out together. of time. Got yeah, it. the husk <laughs> is off. Uh, we're into the core. So you have to give us... Uh, <laughs> you right. have to give us a blessing.
1: Very good. Uh-huh. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all wisdom THE LORD WHO HAS GIVEN US HIS ONLY SON TO REVEAL THE TRUTH TO US, THE LORD OF LOVE WHO HAS GIVEN HIMSELF COMPLETELY AND FREELY IN LOVE FOR US TO LIBERATE US FROM EVIL AND FROM THE EVIL SPIRIT, BLESS YOU WITH ALL OF THAT LOVE AND WITH THAT WISDOM AND LEAD YOU ON THE COURSE TO ETERNAL LIFE SO THAT YOU TOO CAN LEAD OTHERS TO THAT SAME GOAL IN THE NAME OF THE FATHER AND OF THE SON AND OF THE HOLY SPIRIT, AMEN.
0: Amen. Thank you, as always, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next time. And don't forget that Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. And, of course, next week we'll pick up again the Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church from Father's Book. And don't forget the Bookmark Show every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. And there's also other times that it airs as well, as well as Father Spitzer's. If you missed anything, you can check it out on our Podcast Central and also on our on-demand platform. Go to EWTN.com forward slash radio and click on podcasts. You can listen to Mother Angelica, Father Spitzer, all your other favorite programs whenever you'd like. It's all free on EWTN's Podcast Central. And I'm Doug Keck. Thank you for your questions. We'll see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe. Be well.